What's up? What's up? Nick Loper here. Welcome to the Side Hustle Show because you can flip your script. You can flip your lifestyle. But the thing is, nobody else is going to do it for you. Today, I am joined by Mr. FlippedLifestyle.com, Shane Sams. Shane, welcome to the show. Nick, it is it is so good to be here, and it is about freaking time that we are in the same place at the same time. I feel like I know you, and we have all the same friends, but we've, we've just ships in the night, baby. Just ships in the night, man. Ships in the night. Very much is the case. Obviously, I have heard bits and pieces of Shane and his wife Jocelyn's story over the years. We've got dozens of mutual friends, but fun fact, this is actually our first conversation. So if you don't know the background, a few short years ago, Shane and Jocelyn were both school teachers, but in their spare time, in their off hours, they built an incredibly successful online business, actually several online businesses, including elementarylibrarian.com that sold for over a million dollars in 2017. Today, they run flippedlifestyle.com along with the Flipped Lifestyle podcast to help others try and replicate the success they've had online, and today, specifically to take advantage of the membership model. That's what we're going to dive into with Shane today, the minimum viable membership model. I think we can all get on board with the benefits, especially the predictable monthly revenue piece of it, but stick around in this one to learn how to get your membership set up the right way and why you might be closer than you think to getting your first paying members. Notes and links to all the resources mentioned, plus the full text summary of our call, are going to be at sidehustlenation.com slash Shane. Shane, let's kick this off with the niche selection and validation question. When you're working with aspiring online business owners, aspiring membership site owners, how do you guide them toward a niche that they can both have an impact in and be profitable with? Well, you know, our story, of course, starts back when we were school teachers. Jocelyn was an elementary school librarian. I was a social studies teacher and a football coach. And we had some things happen at work that made us go down the rabbit hole of, hey, we want to work for ourselves. What can we do? Right? What's our side hustle? That was That's the first thing you look at. And Nick, I looked at the craziest stuff when we first started thinking about making money for ourselves. I looked at mowing yards, pressure washing. At one point, Jocelyn was going to open a consignment store. She bought a sewing machine and she was going to sew curtains and sell them on eBay. And then we got the sewing machine and we realized that Jocelyn doesn't know how to sew. Details, details. Details, details. So you, you got to kind of go down some rabbit holes to figure it out. But the way we usually approach it is to go with what you know. I know that everybody wants to chase their passions and they want to do what they love. But, you know, I love taking naps on the beach. That's what I, I don't. I haven't figured out a way to make money off that just yet. Right. So you, you got to be careful when you're going down that passions rabbit hole. So when I first started out, I started blogging. I started trying to make money on ad clicks. I started doing all sorts of things that just were not in my wheelhouse. And after we made our first money online, Jocelyn, it was only 11 cents, by the way. I'm not saying we made a bunch of money online. I got an ad click. That was like the Super Bowl winning touchdown dance in our life. That's how it starts, man. Yes, that's how it starts. And I love this story. Like you guys, if you haven't heard, you got to go back to Smart Passive Income I think this episode was from 2014, where you guys talk about that 11 cents and the impact that it had. Yeah, man. It just kept us going down the rabbit hole. I was about to quit, and it kept us going down that rabbit hole. But what Jocelyn said after that was, hey, that's interesting. We made something. We put it out there. Someone sent money back. What else could we do? And that led to the next question was, what do we already know how to do? Jocelyn knew how to create elementary librarian lesson plans. She knew she could solve that problem 
for someone who didn't want to put hundreds of hours into creating their own lesson plans or maybe a new teacher who just didn't even know what they were doing walking in the door of their first job. I knew how to make U.S. history teacher lesson plans because I was a U.S. history teacher. I knew how to write playbooks because I was a football coach. And I liked playbooks enough. And Jocelyn enjoyed being a librarian enough. Not a passion, but we liked it enough to pursue that. So whenever anybody comes into the Flip Your Life community, that's, that's where we stop. And we say, what do you know how to do? What problem can you solve for somebody else? And what will you actually you know, move forward on? Do you have any exercises to go through that would help someone who says, well, yeah, but I'm not really an expert in anything. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that I kind of know when I get through my days, but I wouldn't stick my neck out and call myself a pro in any of it. Sure. Well, the biggest thing is that's a mindset problem. It's not a niche problem. So the, the mindset is I'm not expert enough. I'm not a pro. That's what that's the two words I heard you say. I'm sure you've heard a lot of people say that before. But really, nobody cares. <laughs> like Nobody cares if you have a PhD. They don't care if you have a master's degree or, an, or you're a perceived thought leader or expert. All anyone cares about when they buy your product is, can you solve my problem? So let's take my, my first product that I ever sold online. It was a football playbook for high school defenses. It was called the 353 Playbook. And it was a very niche, specialized defenses designed for high schools that didn't have a lot of talent. Now, when I started writing this playbook, Nick, I was not a very spectacular football coach. My first year as a head coach, I went 0-10. And, and it wasn't just 0-10. It was getting your brains beat in 60 to nothing every single week. That, it, was, it was like the kind of gig where you look in the mirror every Friday night at about 11.30 and going, what am I doing? What is wrong with me? <laughs> is this even where I'm supposed to be at right now? So that, that does not make it onto the uh, sales page copy. No, it does. It actually does make it onto the sales page copy, and I'll tell you why. All right, so then the next year, I thought it through, and I said, you know what I'm going to do this year? I'm not going to get running clocked. I'm not going to get killed. I'm going to win a couple games. And we, won, we went 2-8, and eight, and we only got running clocked once by the eventual state champion. Okay, And that was actually after halftime. That was a win, Nick. That was a win. And then the next year of my career, three wins. Then all of a sudden, four wins. I mean, we're, lit, we're stepping it, and then five wins. And the year we went five and five, I looked at Jocelyn one day, and I said, you know what would be awesome? It would be awesome this year as a goal to go home happy on Friday nights, more nights than we don't. That'd be six and four. The last season that I coached football, we were eight and two. So we, we had figured out how to win with very limited players, how to, how to call plays that could put our kids in, a, in the right situation and do things really differently. And when I started selling my playbook, I realized I was at a football clinic one time and we went and heard Nick Saban talk about defense, who's the greatest football coach that's ever lived. And I was, we were walking out. I heard two guys say, that's great, but I don't have a 300-pound nose guard. And I thought, wait a minute. They don't need Nick Saban's playbook. That dude's frustrated because Nick Saban's guy weighs 300 pounds and runs a 4.5, and his kid is 300 pounds and runs a 5.4. It's a totally different situation. That guy needs what I've already figured out. So if you can embrace that part of it, when you start looking at these things that you do, you're going to realize someone needs you. Someone is one chapter behind you and you can help them. When Jocelyn started elementarylibrarian.com, she had only been a librarian for three years at two schools, but she couldn't find the solution to the problem she was trying to solve, which is I need more lesson plans for my library because li librarians actually teach. They teach reading, they teach information technology, they teach research. So you need those plans. 
Dude, she became the elementary librarian. Like every librarian in the country knew about her after just a couple short years. So it's not about being the expert. It's just being expert enough to where you can reach back and, and help somebody else. Are there any niches you would avoid with a 10-foot pole? Like if your expertise is also happens to be something that the rest of the world also happens to be an expert in or expert enough in? No, never. The reason is because people don't buy products for your expertise. They buy it because they relate to you. They join your membership because there's something different about the way you do it, the way you present it, the way that you teach it. Like all information is free online. Every single thing that's ever been created is somewhere on Google for free if you go out and look for it, right? You can dig and you can find just about anything. But if you curate it in a certain way, like we, we have a process called the Flip Your Life Blueprint. That's how we started our business and quit our jobs in 13 months. Like that's the way we present it. You can tell right now I'm from Kentucky, man. I don't talk so spectacular. <laughs> I got an accent, right? But a lot of people relate to my accent where somebody else may relate to somebody else's accent, like from New York or something. So really, it's the presentation that matters. It's the path that matters. It's the curation that matters. I mean, when we started Flip Lifestyle, I mean, everybody's trying to teach people how to start an online business, right? So it was hyper competitive, but we found our community. We found our people that liked the way we did it better. They liked our values and what we stand for and how our program is presented. I'm not trying to help you get to a beach in Thailand on $6 a day. I'm not trying to get a rented Lamborghini to take a picture. I'm trying to give you, can you pick your kids up from school? That's all I'm trying to help you do. So when you present it a certain way, when it's your personality driving the business, it doesn't matter how crowded the niche is. We've seen people go into every niche in our community, man. Everything from shearing sheep to backyard chickens to life coaching. You only need 100 people to pay you $50 a month to make $60,000 a year. So it's not hard to find your 100 people out of the 5 billion people connected to the internet. That's a good way to frame it. How to find, you know, oftentimes we'll talk about your 1,000 true fans. If you, you know, the first step, that 100 people, or even maybe that first person to pay you that 50 bucks a month and you're off to the races. But of course, they're not going to give you that 50 bucks a month for free. Like you said, you have to attract the right avatar, the right audience and provide them with information that they think is worthwhile and showcase your personality and all that jazz. Talk to me about attracting that audience once I've settled on a niche. What's working or what do you see working today in terms of the marketing side? The two biggest things for us is publishing and guesting. Number one, you have to be, your voice has to be in the marketplace somehow. Now that doesn't mean you have to have a podcast. I'm a podcaster. I like to talk. I think it's the easiest, fastest way to go out and create content. You can record the video so you get some video for platforms like YouTube or Facebook and things like that. But you've got to be, you have to be putting that personality into the marketplace. You have to be putting your story into the marketplace. So, you know, we constantly record podcasts. We have two podcasts on one podcast. We actually talk to our members and we help them with their membership, like in our coaching call. On my other one, I bring on experts that I can talk to and give our people some added insight because I ain't got it all figured out and neither does Jocelyn. So just having our voice out there consistently every single day is our number one thing that we do with marketing. The next thing is we want to be prolific. We want to be promoting that content we create as much as we can so that we can get it in front of people on Facebook, on Twitter, in our email list, all those things. And then we want to be relentless by pursuing opportunities, relationships, like get just me talking to you right now Somebody out there may not have heard of Shane and Jocelyn. So I can share with them everything that we've learned over the past almost 10 years of online business. And then maybe I get discovered. Maybe they start listening to the Flip Lifestyle podcast. Maybe they join our email list. Maybe they take advantage of one of our trials. It doesn't matter. 
But that's the two things that we focus on every single day is what are we publishing today and how are we getting out there and getting our voice in front of new audiences? And it doesn't take a lot of money to do that. It just takes, you got to roll up your sleeves or open your wallet. And I like the sleeves part better because I'm frugal. (laughs) So we don't spend a lot of money on ads or things like that. We just focus on uh, getting our relationships built up. Yeah, I mean, me neither. So did Jocelyn have a elementary librarian podcast? What worked for her? Listen, she sure did. I mean, does that not sound like the most exciting podcast ever? The elementary librarian podcast. But dude, it was amazing how well it took off. Now, she blogged too. So Jocelyn is a really good writer. She did a podcast and a blog. She would write about more technical, tactical things. And then she would speak to other librarians about more high-level strategic things. So that's kind of how she did it. When she first started that podcast, man, it only got 100, 200 downloads a month. And then it you know, maybe got up to about 1,000 to 2,000 downloads a month. It was never huge, but it was such a curated audience that when she offered a freebie to join her list, she got 50 people and then she got 100 people. And when we got to 250 emails, we sent out the first email to sell what would later become the elementary librarian membership. And we made $2,500 off a 250-person email list. And this is basically, this is recurring revenue. I mean, this is like not, I got paid 2500 bucks. Wow, that's awesome. It's like, oh my gosh, they're using August lesson plans this month. They're using September's next month. And it just, 2500 3500 $5,000, $15,000, $36,000 in a single month as we just kept stacking these members, these elementary librarians. It just grew. And I mean, her list was never more than probably maybe 9,000 people, even when we sold it. So, I mean, it doesn't take a huge list or a huge audience to build a really big membership fast. Yeah, that's really inspiring. And and that's kind of cool to hear versus a one-off sale. Like, how can I keep people coming back? We'll get into that in a moment. I want to go a little bit deeper on this publishing side because there's an element to it. And, and I think anyone who's spent any time blogging can relate or anytime podcasting, YouTubing, Instagramming or whatever, like for the vast majority of time, it feels like you're just shouting into a void. Nobody is reading this stuff. How do I get more people to tune in? I am curious, one, if you experienced any of that, or two, how you and your members are combating that today. Yeah, it's definitely a challenge sometimes. So the first thing philosophically, we always want to be the glacier, not the prairie fire. Prairie fires look awesome. You people in Northern California, you've seen a lot of forest fires lately. They're pretty spectacular, right? We could look over the hill last month and it was this eerie, like fires of Mordor glow. It was weird. Yeah, Sarad's coming over the hill, right? But we know one way or the other, those fires are going to diminish. They're going to get put out for this year and they're going to go away, right? So spectacular and they go away. That's what the fire does. But like the glacier, it built itself up snowflake by snowflake until it was an immovable object, you know, the irresistible force like coming down the fjord or whatever. So we kind of take that philosophy. Like I want to build the business snowflake by snowflake, brick by brick. If I get one new listener today, 10 tomorrow, I get five emails today, five tomorrow. If I get one new member every single day, then I'm going to slowly become this juggernaut, this unstoppable force. And we've always had that philosophy. It was really cool to put that battle tested back in March when COVID hit, the world shuts down and we're like, okay, are we really the glacier? And, you know, our business has grown every quarter this year. We've gained members and all of our businesses, including education. When the schools all shut down, I was like, well, there goes that website. And we have more members now than when COVID started. 
And we see now the momentum and all those Hansel and Gretel breadcrumbs we've thrown into the market over the past five or six years are now turning into something that is kind of amazing. That's why our philosophy is consistent, prolific, relentless. You know, if I create content consistently, if I'm prolific and I share it every day and I'm relentless about pursuing the next level, which is for us relationships, for you, it might be Facebook ads, whatever it is, that eventually, if I do it well enough, long enough, is going gonna, is gonna to produce some serious results. And the membership game is even better for this. Here's why. If I do that with the launch model, like I'm launching a $1,000 course, I've seen so many people, they go out, they do the $50,000 course launch, they sell, they give half of it to their affiliates, they still feel really good about it. But then it doesn't happen again the next month or the next quarter or the next launch isn't as good. But every day I get a couple members, even if one quits, I still grow. If I start October with 101 members and I leave October with 103, the business got better. And if I do that over the next 60 months, the next five years, all of a sudden I'm going to look up and I'm going to have a few hundred members. So you really get this amazing like compound interest effect when you have a membership as your side hustle or as your business that lets you slow down, that lets you calm down, that lets you do it peacefully without so much stress. Yes. Did you know that roughly half of Side Hustle Nation hasn't started their side hustle yet? If that's you, I get it. Starting and building a business is tough. It takes more than just an idea. There are tons of moving parts, and it's a bit like trying to assemble your airplane in the middle of takeoff. Thankfully, our sponsor, Taylor Brands, is helping Side Hustle Show listeners make that leap and make it all a lot easier. Their comprehensive platform guides you through every step, making sure you have everything you need all in one place. Think of it like your behind-the-scenes partner for things like LLC formation, licenses and permits, getting an EIN, setting up your business bank account, bookkeeping and invoicing, insurance, logos, trademark protection, and a lot more. Taylor Brands helps you handle it all seamlessly. And to get you started, Side Hustle Show listeners get 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans when you use our link. That's taylorbrands.com slash side hustle. Taylor Brands, like a tailor for your clothes. T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A-N-D-S dot com slash side hustle. Start your business journey today with the help of Taylor Brands. When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search and hit the ground running with your new hire. But what if you could get rid of the search part and just get matched with qualified candidates? Well, now you can with our sponsor, Indeed. It's simple. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. The matching and hiring platform is trusted by over 3.5 million businesses worldwide to connect with great talent faster. And 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. For my next hire, I'm using Indeed to tap into a talent pool of 350 million unique monthly visitors. And what else is cool is Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets. And how about this? Side Hustle Show listeners get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Just go to Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The big launches are, are good for those eye-popping case studies. But then what do you do next month? You know, you got to bank on that for lasting you for a while. I like the recurring element. Dude, you know where I learned that lesson? So the first year, we kind of stumbled into the membership model. We were selling monthly to the same people, but we were doing it like, hey, you bought August. 
Hey, it's time for September. Hey, you bought September. So we were kind of the first few months we were doing it like that. And finally we were just looked at each other and went like, why wouldn't we just let them sign up? I think we were, I mean, it was like, it was like paying your Comcast bill. And you're like, I pay this every month. And then you think like, well, everybody pays everything every month. Why aren't they paying us every month? So then you, you transition it over to the membership model. And all of a sudden, what? This is amazing. Now I don't have to sell it to them again next year. I just have to serve them. So they'll keep paying. One year, the, the biggest month we ever had with Elementary Librarian, we did 144000 Now, that was when we were selling it as a, it was like a bundle, like a course. It was like 500 bucks, huge launch, whatever. When we decided to switch, like, hey, let's stop selling this every month. Let's stop having these big launches. The month after when we sold it, we thought, well, what's going to happen when we switch this over to the membership model? We're not going to have that big hit. Oh, we're not going to have this. Well, all of a sudden, we sold it again, opened it, and switched it over to recurring revenue. We're making $40,000 a month out of the gate. And we were like, well, that's not 144, but those people stay nine months. What's nine times 44? It's just a different kind of math at that point. And also, you can predict it into the future. Like, I know how long, on average, a member of Flip Lifestyle will stay. So I can say, wow, we're going to make that for the next eight, nine months. That means I can hire this person on my team. So it just gives you so much more freedom and you just got to take the ego out of it and not want the feel good. You want the be good. And then it's, you can off to the races at that point. Yeah, I do, I do want to get into the reducing churn or keeping people engaged enough to continue to be signed up. But I had one more thing on the publishing front and that was related to if you are starting with a membership model in mind and you're publishing this content how are you deciding what to put out into the world for free, like these prolific breadcrumbing strategies versus what to hold back behind the paywall? Sure. Our basic principle there is all content is free. You have to start from that with every piece of content, every word out of your mouth, every word on the page. You have to realize that in this day and age, there's nothing that you can't find for free. Now, the problem is it might take me 18 hours to find something for free. Or like in our U.S. history teacher lesson plan website, we curate videos for people and we've went through them and we've had someone on our team watch them to make sure they don't have any nudity or swear words. So now, instead of you staying up all night looking for videos to show to your class the next day, and it takes you four hours to do that, you just log in and say, oh, you're teaching about the Civil War? Here's a vetted, clean, easy, awesome video you can show your class. You're not going to get in trouble. Nobody's Nothing's going to slip through the filters. Okay. So the curation is actually what you're selling. People are like putting in subliminal messaging in these old history videos. Oh, dude. No, it's like you'll watch something old and somebody will come on and say like a cuss word or you'll get something from the history channel or something. And it's PG instead of G. And like with schools the way they are now, you got to be really careful what you put on the video projector. We're just making sure that one, it's on target. One, it's contextually accurate. Two, there's nothing bad that you're going to end up showing to your class. Right. So there's some, okay, pre-vetted. Okay. So that curation is what membership owners actually sell. Then you don't have to worry about it. I can talk to you about anything. You can ask me anything. I can answer any question. It can be as high level or as low level as I want. I'm putting this out there for free. But the problem is you're eventually going to sit down and try to build a membership by yourself. And that's really, really hard if you get the steps out of order. So inside of our community, we've taken these things that we, we, we teach and talk about, and we've curated them into the exact path. This is what you do this week. This is what you do next week. We do the same thing on our education side. You're going to teach this lesson day one, this lesson day two. You don't even have to think about it. Your classroom's on autopilot. Once you do that with your content, it doesn't matter what we talk about for free. It, it just shows that I know what I'm talking about at that point. 
And now I got to help you figure out your path so that you can build the same thing that we did. What's your level of monthly maintenance and upkeep in creating new content? I think that's, I mean, I love the membership model, recurring revenue, the elusive passive income. Like it all sounds awesome. You know, I'm producing content every month anyways, but like I'm, one of my hesitations is like, okay, did I just sign myself up for another job, like to create extra bonus members only type of content? So not really. Like if you look at the Flip Your Life Blueprint right now, the way it is, I, I learned something in 20, about mid 2015 that really changed the way I thought about the content in my membership site. You know how like people will set up courses. It's like, what questions do people always ask me that I don't want to repeat myself on? So you make a course about it. And then you can sell the course or you can give the course to anybody that asks that same question in the future, right? What I noticed when we started working with people with so many different niche markets, like the sheep shearing lady I told you about earlier, she has a website. So she owns like a hundred sheep and there's some kind of special sheep that are really soft or something. I don't know what they are. So she's in North Dakota, middle of nowhere. She started this blog teaching people how to shear the sheep and turn the sheep into stuffed animals. So she was selling a course for like 30 bucks. It was ridiculous. And we were like, Teresa, that would be $49 a month easy. And people would love to like watch your videos and go live with you once a month or something to ask you questions. So she creates this thing and she goes out and she builds this quarter of a million dollar membership, like 400 members in the first six months, <laughs> just a bunch of people shearing sheep. And then she's selling the sheep off of the back end of it. But while helping her, what I learned was she asked me questions that were so unique, I didn't think they were like, it wasn't worth recording just another course and keep adding to the library. It was like, who's going to ask me another question about the sheep shearing people, how to turn that into a whatever. So what we realized was about 80% of what we teach is always the same. Like you need to find an idea. You need to have your goals and all these mindset things out of the way. You need a website. You need a member area. You need a forum. You need a way to deliver your content. You need a way for them to connect with you. You need a way for them to connect with each other. Like all those things are the same. And they'll always be the same. So I went through the entire Flip Your Life Blueprint and I redid every one of those phases in the process. Evergreen. Evergreen is anything. I didn't talk about any tools. If you want to talk about tools, we talk about that in our community forums. If you want to talk about something that's not covered in the blueprint, then you come to a Q&A. So basically in 2015, I recorded all these videos, a big production, took us about two months to do it. I've never added a course since unless it's something cool that I record like on a podcast or something. So I haven't really made new content. We just created eight, the 80, 20, 80% of the process is sitting there. And what's awesome about that is you've opened the door. Now, everyone who joins now needs to ask you questions. They need to talk to each other in the forums. They need to show up on Q and A's. And that community is why they pay month after month. That emergency hatch that they can jump into anytime they get stuck in their business is what they're actually paying for. The membership is not based on content. It's based on community and leadership. That's how we build our stuff out. Okay, that's helpful. So the the content, maybe what tips the scales for them to sign up, but then they stick around. Or the path. The path is what tips the scales. I'm going to tell you what to do and hold your hand step by step so that you don't go down the wrong content that's free. And once you got the path, tips the scale, and then they come in and they stay because they have friends and they have you. Okay, stick around for the access, stick around for the community. What do you think of the model of, instead of, you know, flat price, 50 bucks a month, you know, you have access to this for as long as you stay a member. What I've seen people start to do recently is a higher price up front, say it's $500 for this course. And then, you know, after 
three months or maybe even after the first month, it's 50 bucks a month for continued access to the monthly or weekly live Q&A sessions and stuff like that. It's kind of a combo platter type of offering. So that's a join fee is basically what it is. You got to come in at a higher price. So I think that's, to me, a little bit of that is the holdover from the high course launch model. It's like people baby stepping into the mix. They don't trust that they can build over time, right? Okay. But I do think there's exceptions. I have a friend named Jason Brown of thebrownreport.com. You know Jason? Yeah. He does stock market stuff. I helped him. We were in Dallas and we were at, I think, Funnel Hacking Live. I don't remember where we were. But we were talking. We went to lunch one day and I helped him kind of figure out what his membership was going to look like. And we realized in that case that without the join fee, these investors, these people with money didn't trust him because the price of the membership at $100 a month or even $200 a month was too inexpensive. It like, no, nah, that can't be true, right? They didn't trust. There was a trust problem. But when we added the join fee, it blew it out of the water. Now, we had another client named Blair Thelemon. She has a site called Farmerpreneur Academy. And she had this ridiculous join fee, like 500000 bucks. And I, when we looked at her membership, I told her, you have this castle on a hill. And inside that castle is the greatest thing that any owner could ever want. But you built a $1,000 moat around it, and you pulled up the bridge. What we did was we took her join fee off and doubled the monthly price to $200. And all of a sudden, she gets hundreds of people sweeping in. She had prevented people on her list from ta- – because they wanted – They were willing to spend the money, but they weren't willing to risk the join fee. So there are times when a join fee can actually help you make more sales. But 90, 80% of people, just you're better off just saying, open the doors, get your monthly people, let the price of least resistance be that open revolving door of people to come in, free trials, dollar trials, your first month's payment, whatever. And then just, then just keep them there. And all of a sudden that's when the stacking starts. So it really is business dependent. If you're in a, if you're in a niche where People want to spend the money, like a status niche, I guess, would be a good place for a join fee. But if you're in most people, just start off, open the door, get people in and keep them as long as you can. What would be an example of a status niche? Like the stock market thing. Like if you're an investor, you know, you're feeling good, you're dressing nice, you're on, I'm I'm a wolf of Wall Street. You know what I'm saying? I'm looking (laughs) in the mirror, I'm a baller. Those people, it's definitely like a status niche, right? But the, the pharmacy thing, it was like, I don't care if I'm a part of your club, player. I don't care. Like I'd love your stuff and I'd pay 200 a month for it, but I'm not going to give you a thousand and then get in there and not like it. Okay. There was no status involved in it. It was just, do I want the material and the leadership and the community or not? That's usually just let them in. I mean, our stuff's most of the stuff that we do is free trials. Now I do take a credit card for the free trial. I don't let people just sign up with a name and email because I want to protect the culture of my community. So I, I need to be able to verify their identity. And it's just, it's just a little, it's just enough filter where the freeloaders won't type in their credit card because they're afraid to get charged. <laughs> right. But the first month's free. Okay. So you, you can see this in action. So this is flippedlifestyle.com slash free where Shane and Jocelyn have a 30 day risk free trial for the flip your life community. And you kind of see how that funnel works over there. Yep. You'll get sucked down the rabbit hole very fast, but it's our free trial too is not limited. Like that's another mistake people make is. If you are going to let a nice low barrier to entry, you're letting people into your membership and your membership is a supermarket. If your member comes in and they want milk and you've got the milk aisle closed off because you're going to drip it to them later when they pay, they're going to leave and go buy milk somewhere else. You got to open the doors. You got to be organized just like a supermarket. If I come in today and want milk and I come in tomorrow and want ham and I come in tomorrow and want cottage cheese or whatever, I got to be able to get where I need to go easily because that can frustrate people too, like poor organization. 
but you don't want to drip it. If you're going to open, offer a free trial, come on in, y'all. Here's everything you need. I'll show you around. Come over to the live Q&A. You want to jump in the forums and ask a question, hang out with us over here in the Facebook group. Like all of it's available when you do that. And then you have to manually kick people out of the Facebook group if they don't end up paying. Like it sounds like a little bit of a process there. No, there's no, no. Here's what we do. Okay. So there's a line in the sand, how the community functions. Okay. So inside of our community, like when you buy it, like when you log into your Kajabi interface or whatever, there's two areas. There's the area where there's all the content and you can go watch a course. You can ask a, a comment if you have a question about that particular course. So there's a lot of discussion there, but we also have a forum. So our forum is split into four areas, general forum, success stories, and action plans. So it's basically accountability questions and then celebrating success with each other. Okay. The only coaching discussions happen there. Like if me and Jocelyn are going to log in or somebody, we got coaches on our team. Like we have people that we have community managers that go in and check for questions and help people get what they need. That all happens in that platform. If you're not paying, you can't even access that forum. Right. So the Facebook group is what we call our community. It's our community, but it's for members and alumni. So we figured out a long time ago that people come back. Like even if they leave your membership, they're going to come back. That Everybody's coming back. It's like the prodigal son. So what happens in there is community stuff, fellowship, fun stuff. Like we post stuff and do a watch party. And we talk about like if someone was going to describe you in a meme, what would the meme be? And you share a meme. Like that's more for community family building, but nothing substantial online business-wise happens there. That all happens inside the paid part of the community. So it's a good way to keep people in the fold and create a lot of FOMO so that when when they're ready to come back, they think of you first. Okay, interesting. So that's on Facebook and the rest of it is housed in the Kajabi platform? Yes. And we actually just added the Facebook group about three or four months ago. So we're still we're building that back up. But we, we realized that we needed that more fun. It's like the outs, you know, if you go to a conference, you go into the talk, you're sitting there taking notes. Yeah, but then you're out in the halls hanging out and having fun and talking about your kids and all that other stuff. So that's kind of what the Facebook group is. Sorry, you got my gears turning a little bit here. This is which is the mark of a good conversation. That's what I do, Nick. <laughs> I, I've I've left very few podcasts with somebody not starting a membership. So you better be careful what you're getting into tonight. <laughs> you, you might be up a while, you know. So you're a fan of the free trial, which I think is an interesting way to go to prove your value up front. I think that's really cool, and obviously you've proved your value, you know, over years of doing the podcast already, what would persuade you to go the other way to just say, Hey, it's a fixed price. Sign up now. Well, I mean, another thing too, is you can't really make those decisions without data. We did two years of testing before we, we settled in on the free trial. So the first year, I think it was like 20, it might've been 26, 18, 2018, we did dollar trials and we wanted to see how that worked. And we had always sold it before come in at the month. So we already had three or four years of data of this is what our sales are and our conversion rates are with it's the price is the price and you pay it coming in the door. So then we spent a year doing dollar trials. We spent another year doing free trials and we literally went a whole year and that's all we sold in a year and it's all we sold. What we learned was that dollar trials will stay a little bit longer, but they converted a little bit less in the front end and free trials, there was so much more volume, even though they stayed a little less month to month it was astronomical in how much more money we made in a year's time. So then what we realized, if we choose this trial for our business, this is the price of least resistance for this particular membership. Then all we have to do now is increase lifetime value. And we can focus on that. That's why we picked free trials. We went through the process. We learned what was best for ours. We had enough data to understand lifetime value. Like you can't offer 
a lifetime price until you know lifetime value of the customer. You got to learn all that stuff, right? So in the first year of someone's membership, I always tell them, do a free trial, do a monthly membership, have an annual plan that's something like two months off. And then after the first year, you can look and say, well, this these members stayed this long. Month three is where I need to get them to upgrade to an annual or a lifetime. And you can strategize more once you have a little bit of that data. And that's different for every membership too. So for us, it's just, hey, the number one thing in our business is, did we get more monthly members today? That's the floor of the business. The ceiling's as high as you want it. But every day I want to give myself a raise. Every day I want to give, I want more people adding to the floor. I want my, I want the floor of our business, that monthly membership pool to be higher than the ceiling of everybody else's business. And we'll focus on that. And for us, that became the free trial with a lot of focus on retention. We do have upsell sequences at certain times in the long-term nurture sequence for members to make sure that we're getting lifetime value. We do have quarterly sales and things like that. So we can get people upgraded to quarterly or annual or whatever, or, or even sell other memberships. We have multiple subscriptions that we sell to our people too. So, but all those things come from a very simple thing. If you're starting monthly membership, free trial, your annual plans, two months off, let's go. Let's see what happens. Let's get people in here. Okay. So you can pull forward some revenue doing that stuff. What's the, and I imagine this is different for every niche, but have you found there's a, a guideline or an industry benchmark for how long somebody ought to stick around on average? Well, I think a, a goal would, no, not, I mean, people on Netflix are going to stay for years, right? Like, for example, our lifetime value of a customer on U.S. History Teachers roughly works out to about nine months. Guess what else is nine months? The school year. So, so like, there's variables in every space that are going to determine that. And you can go resell it. You can get other people. That's going to determine that. So I, I would say shoot for six months when you first start out. Like you, you should be getting people six months. You'll probably get people three or four months until you figure out what they really need, right? You got to get them in there and you got to work with them to figure that out. That's going to take a few months, but I would shoot for six months retention. But imagine this. Imagine if you had, let's just say a, a really solid number. Let's say 200 people paying you $50 a month. All right, so that's $10,000 a month. If you've got $10,000 a month paying in, and let's say you've got 200 people, and let's say 10, 5% churn or whatever, let's say 10 leave or 20 leave every month, you now know, hey, I'm cool. I've got three to six months retention. All I got to do next month is sell 21. And then I got to go work on that retention side a little bit. And, you know, over about three to six months, maybe I get that to seven months. Ooh, security, stability. And then you go back and you're like, all right, I, I lost 30. Now I got to get 31 or whatever, whatever the number is, right? And then you can work on retention and you, you'll slowly expand that out. It's going to get better and better as the avatar gets more correct and more dialed in, basically. Okay. Tell me about the lead flow and maybe we can use the elementary librarian as an example of this. Like someone tunes into the podcast, someone finds Jocelyn's blog post. Is the pitch directly to go sign up for this membership? Is there an intermediary lead magnet and email follow-up sequence that happens after that? How does that work? So the basic flow is create content. That's the first flow. And then you can promote the content however you want. You can share it organically or you can go buy ads for it. Now, usually that means podcasts, whatever. For Elementary Librarian, it was definitely 100% a lead magnet. It was at the end of every podcast, at the end of every blog, in every sidebar, hey, come get this whatever the month's lesson pack was. So it might be like our special Christmas bonus lesson pack or, or the Dr. Seuss Week checklist or whatever, right? So it was very specific lead magnets. It was based on the time of the year because we knew our, our avatar's calendar. For U.S. history teachers, it is 100% definitely a lead magnet. Now, that, that site works a little differently. I run 
ads. I get, I can get leads on that one for like 20 cents, right? Cause teachers are, it's just cheap to get teacher leads. So I can run a few ads to that a little bit. I got a little Facebook group where I share funny teacher memes and it's like 10,000 people. We've just slowly built that up over time. It's, it's also a lesson pack for, for that one. It's, Hey, I'll give you 10 free lessons from every era in U S history. So what I did was like every unit is like 12 days. I gave them the first day of every unit. Sooner or later, you're going to hit one in one day too, <laughs> right? So that one is very much a lead magnet. For Flip Lifestyle, we've actually went straight to mostly free trial. I mean, it's easy for us to pitch the free trial. I can bring it with me in my back pocket everywhere I go. It's easy to run an ad to it. We do have lead magnets that we give away from time to time. But since we went all in on the free trial, mostly that's all we we promote for leads. Now we get less leads, but we they're really super high quality, which is really what we want in the community anyway. Yeah, man, you got my gears turning here. This is fascinating stuff. I, I love this. We talked a little bit about Kajabi, which is K-A-J-A-B-I, as a platform to host this membership. What else is going on on the tools and tech side to, to run this stuff? So, you know, there's a lot of different platforms. There's a lot of different things. For probably probably about six or seven years, so 2019, we pretty much ran everything through WordPress. But the problem was when people got in the Flip Your Life community, when we, the more people we helped, we realized tech was the major issue that got people to stuck or made them to quit. So we knew that to fix retention, we had to fix that problem. So we started testing all the other different platforms out there. And we came up with three things that every membership must have. You must have a content delivery system to create your curated path. You have to have a way for them to interact with each other. They have to have a community because that's what takes all the workload off of you. When the dynamo kicks in and they start talking to each other, you're out. You can go hire a community manager. You can do whatever you want. Okay. And then they have to have a way to have leadership delivered to them. This is usually in the form of it feels like access. It's like a Q&A or maybe it's that special interview with somebody that's only in the community. Right. Some people do that. They have like a Sunday conversation or whatever. So those three components, we had to be able to deliver content in a curated path, and we had to have a community, and we had to be able to present leadership. So I set out in probably late, I don't know, maybe early 2019 testing platforms, and I did it. Dude, I signed up for all of it. And the reason that we talk about Kajabi a lot right now is because it was the only platform we had that we found that we thought did everything really well. It's got a nice course layout, almost like Teachable or something, so it keeps up with people's progress. Um, they've got a nice little forum system that functions a lot like a Facebook feed. So you don't have a lot of training there to teach people how to use it. It's not like a old school bulletin board forum. Just feels like everything else you're using anyway. Okay. You can pull it up on the Kajabi app. It's, it's amazing. And then we always use Zoom for our member calls. I just use the webinar software. So we already had that. So the only two tools, you know, other than Facebook, I guess that'd be a third tool. The only two tools that runs our entire empire is Kajabi and Zoom. That's it. Versus like trying to duct tape together a bunch of different systems. What mistakes do you see new membership site owners or aspiring membership site owners make in this path? The most common thing is understanding that, especially with the membership model, but in real life online business too, it's not get rich quick. You're going to succeed faster. You're going to succeed slower. Everybody's going to do their own pace. But really getting frustrated with like, for example, we always recommend people start with a beta group of 25 people because being a membership owner takes a minute to adjust to the needs of your people and being able to set up solid boundaries. You're only going to check things at certain times and stuff like that. So like get used to it and people will get that 10, 11 people in their beta group. 
or they'll get that 25 people and it doesn't feel like a, oh, I sold a hundred thousand dollars. Right. So that's the first mistake is you gotta, you gotta go into it with the right mindset, brick by brick. If I add one member a day, I'm going to have 365 members in one year. So that's the biggest mistake that we make. The next biggest mistake that we probably see people make is trying to put too much content in there. Everybody wants to go create 80 courses. I don't know why people want to do this. I'm like, your people can't take 80 courses when they join. They can maybe take one a week, <laughs> right? So if you just get like, maybe they can take two a month. You're going to make like six and yeah, you got the first three months covered, right? So creating too much content is probably the best one or the next one. And then I'd say the third one is that boundary issue. Like memberships are not one-on-one coaching. In the beginning, it feels like it because you have fewer members, but it is a different business model and you've got to set hard boundaries. Like sometimes we'll get members or we're really open with adding our members on Facebook as friends, especially if we meet them in person. So sometimes that, that can erode a boundary. And there's often times that I'll have to say, Hey, you know, they'll reach out to me and I'll be like, Hey, look, you know, I, I keep flip your life community in the thing. I love that we're connected, but I can't talk to you about memberships here. If you travel a lot for work or for a vacation, you might be familiar with that feeling you get knowing you're leaving your space unused for long periods of time and you're still paying for that privilege. But hosting on Airbnb means you don't have to leave your home sitting empty when you're away. Being an Airbnb host isn't just a way to earn some extra cash. It's a chance to share your space and make a guest's vacation all the more memorable. You might be thinking, eh, maybe my place isn't the right fit, but don't write it off just yet. Your potential Airbnb might be right in front of you. Whether it's a spare room or even your entire home, there's an opportunity waiting. Airbnb turns your home into a practical and even profitable venture. We just got back from a family trip to Hawaii where we stayed in a great Airbnb, but our place back home could have been a highlight to somebody else's travels, and we could have used the extra cash to help pay for the trip. So if you're curious about hosting on Airbnb, find out how much your space could be worth by visiting airbnb.com slash host. Once again, that's airbnb.com slash host. So like just setting those strong boundaries with your membership to make sure that it's creating the lifestyle you want. It's not called flipped money. It's called flipped lifestyle, right? Yeah, no, that's, that's good to know. Like trying to find this beta group, thinking that you need to have this huge library of premium content before you open the doors. And this is definitely one that I can see myself falling victim to is this boundary thing. It was like, listen, let me tell you about the craziest membership that we've ever had. Okay. Joe Nicoletti, he's, he goes by many aliases online. He's the owner of LearnScrivenerFast.com. So I'm in a mastermind with this guy. We were in Nashville. We had spent a couple of days in Airbnb, hanging out, talking business. And he really wanted to launch membership, Nick. I mean, Nick, he, he wanted it so bad, but he couldn't figure out how to do it. And Learn Scrivener Fast is a writing tool. So his audience is all writers. So the member, mastermind's over. Everybody else has went home. And we were in Franklin, Tennessee, and we went down to that little coffee shop down there. What's it called? Marietta's or something like that. I don't know. Drinking a cup of coffee, walk across the street, sit on a, by a table on some sidewalk. And we had had all these notes. I mean, you know how like, you get with your buddies and you're like writing all these notes and you got like 17 pages of notes and like this is all complicated, whatever. Rip it all out. I throw it away. I get a napkin. It's no bigger than a post-it note. And I put it down. I said, we're going to create a membership right here on this. And if it can't fit on this post-it note, you're not going to do it. What's the number one problem your people have to solve? And he said, well, I guess just accountability maybe like procrastination, like just getting the writing done. And I said, well, what about, what about this? What if, because he was trying to put a ton of content in there and that was what all those notes were we threw in the trash. And I said, well, what if, what if there was no content? What if that wasn't an option? 
And all this membership did was provide accountability. And he goes, what do you mean? I'm like, I don't know, like turn a timer on and sit there and just be like, all right, we're all going to write. I'll see you in 45 minutes. Have writing times, like co-working. And he's, and he's like, well, I don't want to do all the writing times. I'm like, okay, well, just rotate the times. Do like one a day and you do one a week and let other people on your team do it or elevate people in the community and pay them 25 bucks a session or whatever. I mean, if you get 500 people paying you 50 bucks a month, who cares? And he's like, yeah, you're right. So he goes and builds this thing, launches it, gets 300 members in like the first week. And now he's getting, he's like pushing toward a thousand people. It's an hourglass on a timer. There's no content. There's no coaching. It's just a community of people who show up and write. And he has a little ticker. He keeps up with how many people post, how many words they write. So it's super motivating. COVID especially. Now you got somewhere to go and hang out with other writers for a couple hours. And it was just a content-free, coaching-free. He just built a membership based on accountability. So if you just if you just let your imagination run, you can build these things however you fit. All you got to figure out is, does it solve the problem? And they'll pay forever. Okay, that's interesting. That's one of the pain points that I hear often is accountability. You know, side hustling is inherently, or it can be a lonely, a lonely road. Like, I wish I was, I wish I had other people to, to do this with. Like, okay, if it's a remote or online hustle, all right, here to start the timer and let's go. Let's crank on this stuff. Hey, I, I, listen, everybody, you got to build stuff no matter what your side hustle is. You're always doing paperwork or something or something. There's accountability and just, I don't know if accountability is even the right word. It's more like you're not alone. Yes. Like you've eliminated the loneliness. If you can eliminate loneliness, I mean, why would you ever stop paying for something that made you feel connected? You just won't. You just won't. Well, Shane, what's got you excited these days? What's coming down the pipeline for Flipped Lifestyle? When we first quit our jobs, a lot of people came up to us. were like, are you crazy? What are you doing? People thought I'd lost my job. People thought we were getting divorced. Nobody knew what was going on. I tell this story all the time. Jocelyn's granddad walked up and shook my hand, and I looked down. There was a $20 bill in it. And he said, I know you're not working now, son. I just want to make sure you had enough gas money to get home. <laughs> and you're like, we're doing just fine. We're doing okay, Grandpa. We're doing okay. But eventually, people realized we were okay. They realized nothing was going on. They started kind of hearing bits and pieces of the story. But we hadn't launched Flip Lifestyle or even thought about teaching this yet. And then in our small group at church, we had a, a Jocelyn's friend named Lindsay came up and asked us. She said, what are you doing? We told her. And she goes, do you think I could do that? And we're like, why do you want to do it? And she said, I want to stay home and homeschool my daughter. I, I don't want to go back to my job. And we're like, okay. Jocelyn teaches her how to do it. She goes out. She makes like a thousand bucks. And she starts making a thousand bucks again. And then she does it the next month. And all of a sudden, they've got enough money where her and her husband felt like she could stay home and homeschool her daughter. And one day after church, her husband came up to me and he was like crying. And I was like, dude, you all right? And he said, man, yeah, I'm great. My wife is homeschooling our kids. I mean, we drove down to Florida last week. He's a school teacher too. So he's like, we didn't have enough money to do that last year. And we got to take a vacation this year. And dude, I just want you to know, man, like I've had this dream to be a college professor my whole life, but I didn't want to go into debt. And she's making more money now. We're putting some of that toward my education. I'm taking a couple classes at a time so that I can eventually be a college professor. And he is a college professor right now. He works up in Richmond. When he told me this, by the end of the story, man, I'm crying too. Because my, my goal was to be home and be with my son. Because long story short, I found out my son was being mistreated in a daycare. He was being abused. They were locking him in a bathroom for hours at a time. And, and, and the day that I needed to take off work to deal with this, my boss told me that I needed to handle my personal problems after work. And, and that's what inspired me and moved me to go work for myself. And I promised myself that I would never 
be in that situation again, I would control every second, every minute of my life. Someday, somehow, it starts as a side hustle, but it ended up being more. Gosh, that's terrifying. Yeah, man. It was, I mean, it was nothing sexual or anything like that, but it was literally like they he would have potty training accidents, and they would put him in the closet and lock him in there. No windows. And they were doing crazy stuff, man. They were sitting on kids with beanbag chairs. I mean, we heard we heard one story that they put a kid up on a table in his underwear when he had a potty training accident, and they made all the other kids make fun of him. Oh my gosh! It was a quick transition after the after the place got sold, and it just happened so fast, man. And anyway, that was our driving force, and that's, that's what made motivating us st- to get out of there. Yeah, man, we were. Da- I, was, I was mad, man. I was I was mad that. When that lady told me that, like, you're going to have to handle your personal problems after work. I, I know your son needs you, but your job needs you too. And I said, and I was so furious. I left and I got in trouble for leaving. I mean, it just ridic- it was absolutely a ridiculous situation in the first place. But I was really mad that I traded all of my life and freedom for like health insurance and a paycheck that got paid on Friday and ran out on Thursday. It was ridiculous. So anyway, that was our mission. And, and we made that happen. And then when, when Lindsay told me, or JT told me that happened to Lindsay and him, it really inspired me. And I, I got emotional And on the way home from church that day. And I looked over at Joss and I told her what he told me. And I said, you know, if what we're doing worked for us, and if what we're doing worked for JT and Lindsay, we should tell this to other families because then they wouldn't have to use daycare. And then they wouldn't have to go to work. And then they would have control over their life like we do. And so that's what inspired us to launch Flip Lifestyle. And when Flip Lifestyle grew and we invested our time and resources into helping it grow, and we saw these other people succeeding and quitting their jobs and doing these other things, by about the end of 2016 to 2017, it was becoming a mission. It wasn't just a, like a, a business. It wasn't just like that's why we got into coaching was to free families using their God-given talents and experiences so that they could be there when their kid needed them. So that's why we sold elementarylibrarian.com, man. And that's really what drives our life right now. I mean, it's just growing this thing, getting our message out there and helping as many families as we can find the freedom, you know, to be there for their kid. Yeah, I think the key words there are, are freedom and control. And that's what attracted me to entrepreneurship and what attracts so many people to both flipped lifestyle and to side hustle nation. It's like, I want to be, have control over my calendar and I want to be free to do how to spend my time the way I want to spend my time. Well, very good. FlippedLifestyle.com. FlippedLifestyle.com slash free. We'll get you in for that 30-day free trial. Shane, thanks so much for joining me. This has been enlightening and thought-provoking in some very important ways for me. Let's wrap this thing up with your number one tip for Side Hustle Nation. If you're going to build anything on your side hustle, make it recurring revenue. Don't get caught up in all the flash and all the stuff that you see in the ads, build a nice recurring revenue brick by brick and give yourself a raise every day and it'll turn into something great. Build recurring revenue. I love it. Shane, thanks so much. Everybody stick around after the outro music for a special bonus round. We're going to talk about selling this site. We're going to talk about exiting a membership business. We'll be back right after that. Once again, be sure to hit up sidehustlenation.com slash Shane for links to all the resources mentioned along with the full text summary of our conversation. That is it for me. Thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time, let's go out there and make something happen, and I'll catch you in the next edition of The Side Hustle Show. Hustle on.
All right, tell me about this seven-figure payday. What was what was that like when that hit your account? Oh my gosh! So it's, here's how it was structured: selling a, a website for that much money is crazy. Like the negotiations and like all the cartoon characters that you have to negotiate with. Like the people spending that much money are nuts, first of all. But I remember the day it happened. And we looked at it and we, the way it was structured was it was 800,000 up front. And then it was like, what was it? A hundred thousand a year going forward for so many years or whatever. Right. And the day they deposited that it was like unbelievable. Like you couldn't believe it. Like it was, it was, it was so surreal and unreal that it didn't really affect us that much. Does that make sense? Like it was just like, I don't think we've still comprehended it to be honest with you, that that actually happened in, in one day. And what was really cool though, I, I, what did feel good that day. Jocelyn and I are Christians. We go to church and we're strong believers. And we were really adamant that we were going to tithe off that. So that was actually, and we're not supposed to talk about tithing and giving, right? A little bit, you know, I'm not trying to say that to say like, look what I did. But that was the one thing I do remember that day that was the clear emotion that I felt was like, man, I just probably paid my pastor's salary for a year. So that was really impactful that day. But man, it was just, it was bizarre. That whole situation from beginning from the time we hired the broker through all the negotiations to the day it happened was just remarkable (laughs) situation yeah that's kind of inspiring for for a lot of reasons but it's like generational wealth for what amounted to you know a few years of consistent dedicated work and that's for a lot of people life-changing amount of money sounds like oh we're still gonna be okay it's a surreal amount to see hit the account that's a nice that's a nice payday let me tell you about the letdowns, and then I'll tell you about the good stuff, okay? So the first thing after we did that, a couple weeks later, we went to pay off our house. Because we're like, hey, we have a paid-off house. We got three paid-off cars. Bring it on, world. We're debt-free, whatever. I go in, and I think this is going to be the moment, right? You got this 30-something-year-old dude and his wife with two kids walking in. They're going to write the check, man, for the for the house. I go up and I tell her, hey, we're here, we're here to pay off the house. I'd already went to my other bank and got the cashier's check or whatever it was. Dude, I slid it over. She hands me a receipt. Next. Yeah, there's, <laughs> there's thought, no balloons dropping from the ceiling. No, yeah, there was no street. party. No, the dancing monkeys didn't run out going crazy. It was just like, nah, hey, but next. Literally, she literally, I was like, next. And I'd, I got this, lit, and the receipt looked like, it was funny, like, you would think they'd give you like a document, which came later. Yeah, like a certificate, yeah. Nah, man, it was like a receipt that came out of a convenience store, and I had bought a Red Bull. <laughs> anticlimactic. <laughs> it was so anticlimactic, and I thought that was good for the uh, hubris, good for the humility. You know, like, you did a good job, but don't think too highly of yourself. It's still just a transaction with a couple extra zeros on the end of it. I remember the same thing, like walking off the college campus at University of Washington for the last time, you know, after I finished my last final. And it was just me walking by myself back to the house. And it was like, all right, this is not as big of a deal as maybe I made it out to be. Now, there there were some negatives afterwards, too. Like one of the things that we didn't expect was Jocelyn and we had built this business. Jocelyn definitely was more involved in that part of the business than I was. So she was, she ate and slept elementary librarian for years, a couple of years. She had almost like a, a mourning process after she sold her business. And, you know, there's no, we have nobody in our circle or our life that can explain what it's going to be like to sell a business. Right. So she had this mourning process. Like she looking back after, you know, she went through all the stages of grief, just like a child left for college or died or something. So that was very interesting. If, you know, if you're ever, selling anything like that. Like there's a whole mental preparation of our, you're, you're letting this thing go 
that you built and you don't know how the next person's going to treat it almost, which you can vet a little bit in the negotiations, but you still got to, you still got to deal with, there's still that severing and you can't, all of a sudden they change your passwords and you can't log in anymore. So that was interesting. Yeah. And you're like, I guess this is a done deal. What was it like extracting her personal brandedness from the operation? I was going to say there were three things I learned about selling any business. The first one would be you have to build it without the person. Like if you're going to build something to sell, you don't want it to be a personal brand because she was the elementary librarian. Like she was like Oprah for librarians, like Jocelyn. Nobody, that's all she went by was Jocelyn. So what we did was we looked at it and we said, well, how can we keep the feel and remove you? So we, we created a caricature, a little cartoon character. And it was kind of modeled after Jocelyn. Like it was this blonde haired librarian reading a book or whatever, you know? And we kind of just like did a, did a switch and we kind of made this persona or this character of the elementary librarian and then slowly removed Jocelyn's actual pictures, actual images, actual went to more stock footage, things like that. And we removed her from the brand, but we left the character intact. So I think that was really helpful to keep that the personal nature of the brand because Jocelyn did a great job building those elementary librarians into a community. Was there any backlash from the members once it became apparent? Not really, because we before we were going to sell it, we went and studied how to sell things. So the things we learned were, one, it can't be reliant on you. you got to pull yourself out of it. The second thing we had to do was we had to hire people. Like We got a couple of VAs, and we hired them with the expectations that they would be sold with the business. So that's really important. People don't want, they want turnkey. They want people in place. If you're going to sell your business, they do not want to have to come in and set up the ads and run the Facebook group. So we hired a couple of VAs, had to learn that process to get that all done. The next thing we had to do was we had to focus almost entirely on monthly recurring revenue. We had, we kind of stopped selling annual plans and we just went all in because the way they value it is monthly recurring revenue. Like that is what people are going to judge your business by. Like if you've got something where you do, two launches a year and they're a hundred grand each. That's great, but they're not going to want to do that. You need that monthly recurring revenue. So that 2016 up to 2017 was just all in. We sell monthly memberships. We're not touching anything else so that we can get monthly recurring revenue as high as possible by the sale. But those three things were probably the biggest learning curve in that last year of owning the business was, I don't think it was a mistake to build a personal brand first because you can always unwind it. Like even flipped lifestyle could be unwound if we wanted to, because it's a brand. It's not necessarily Shane and Jocelyn. It's a process. But like building it from the beginning as a brand and turning it into that, getting the people hired and creating recurring revenue, that's all we talked about in the whole negotiation. Every negotiation revolved around those three things, basically. Yeah, it sounds like there's a life arc of a business like this where it, it almost needs to be personal at the beginning because people pay attention to people you know, I relate to Jocelyn as a librarian. I can I could see that happening in any number of different niches. And then you slowly extract yourself over time to make it something that doesn't rely on, you know, her face being on the everything, her signature being at the bottom of every email. So my my plans for Flip Lifestyle are to, there's more than just starting an online business in Flip Lifestyle. Like we're really focused, you know, we talk about marriage, we talk about raising our kids. These other things that we have margin for get to become a focus in our life, right? Finances, getting out of debt and all that stuff. We eventually want to expand out into like a, almost a mini little podcast network with different memberships. But I've even, as what we learned from Elementary Librarian is we need this 10-year plan. When does Shane not podcast? 
when does Jocelyn not become a podcaster, go on stage? Like when do we, when do we hire a podcaster or two? When do we hire a couple to take over flip lifestyle and work for us? And they become the voice of this brand. That's down the road, of course. But like we've started thinking about that now that we understand what it takes to really run a real business and not just a personal brand. And we've actually started putting those things in kind of place to move to a place where, you know, when I'm 50 years old, I can look down and say, I've written a lot of books. I've done a lot of shows, helped a lot of people. This business is really changing lives. Let's let somebody else take over all these important leadership roles and watch this thing keep going after we're not here anymore. Once you had all that stuff in place to make it a sellable asset, did you think, well, shoot, now it's running on just a few hours a week. We might as well keep it. Dude, it temptation city, right? I tell you what was what was probably good for us in that situation. One, we had a mission that we real. I, I didn't want the money to live on and invest. I wanted the money to put back into flipped lifestyle over the next five years and make it big. So that was we had a mission waiting for us. And I still have like we have other we have another education site. So it was cool to be able to like that site is not me. There's a, it's actually an imaginary guy that answers customer service named Bob Franklin. And like, it's not, I'm not even involved. There's just a, it's a pure character, right? So that website was kind of already the, Hey, this makes 10 grand a month and it works in two hours a week. Let's just let that roll. So we kind of had the, I had safety nets. I think that let me not have to be like, this is pretty fun, honey. You want to go to Mexico? Cause we could just skip this negotiation and go to Mexico. Yeah. I was going to ask aside from paying off the house, aside from tithing, aside from the, you know, reinvesting in these other brands, any other crazy splurges that went down? Well, yeah, I think, let's see, I think the, the the two biggest splurges was we, I actually regret doing this now, but not really. I mean, I sort of do. It's stupid. We went out and bought a Navigator, because that was dumb. That was a $100,000 car. And then the depreciation hit, and I was like, that was stupid. Yeah, whatever. But it, it's a good car. And then uh, we did take a mad, awesome trip to Jamaica, like just a weekend, just just to celebrate. That was a one of the best pieces of advice I got is, if you ever make a million dollars, don't take advice from people who have not made a million dollars. So I sought out some people who I knew had made a million dollars and they gave us some guidance. Like you really need to do something really fun like that. You really need to do, you need to get that out of your system. Don't just get up the next day business as usual. That's right. Get it out of your system, you know, with 10% of the money. And then that way the other 90%, you can actually have clear headed thinking. Well, Shane, man, this has been awesome. Very cool to uh, connect with you finally after all these years and to hear the inside scoop on this minimum viable membership model. And then both that and what it can become down the road as you gear up for a seven-figure exit there. So Shane, uh, thanks again, and we'll catch up with you soon.